listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. The scripture reading this morning is from the 11th chapter of Mark, and it's verses 1 through 11. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Just say this, The Lord needs it, and will send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt, tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? They told them what Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. They brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest. Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you for that reading, Jim. Personally, I like this. I think we should do this every week. <laughs> Got like eight of these shirts. I could pull it off. I don't know. I don't know how your stash of Hawaiian shirts is looking. Um, <clears throat> before we dig into our passage for today, um, I do want to pause for a minute uh, to acknowledge where we're at in the story of Mark's gospel. This is important. Um, we have been reading this book together since September, if you can believe it, for nine months We've been at Mark's gospel. And over that time, we've seen Jesus do a lot of things. We've seen his baptism. Uh, We've seen him recruit disciples, perform miracles. We saw Jesus' ministry grow in Galilee, the the north region. Uh, We followed his journey to Jerusalem. And now with today's reading, we are entering the final week of Jesus' life. We've still got like six chapters to go, so we are nowhere close to finish, but, but this is a huge milestone. We've got to mark this. Um, the story that Jim just read for us, Palm Sunday, happens the last week of Jesus' life. The rest of this book covers about six, seven days worth of time. And it is interesting, uh, Easter was only, what, like two months ago, I think we did Easter, just about exactly two months ago. So um, if all this sounds a little familiar, that's why we kind of just talked about all this. But usually, uh, when we do this story, we usually cover this story in real time, right? Like, we usually spend about a week in this part of the gospel. We have Palm Sunday, and then one week later, it's Easter. But that's not how we're going to do it this time. We're going to take our time With this, we are going to be in Mark's gospel for the rest of the summer. We're going to go piece by piece, scene by scene through the end of this story to really savor it, to gnaw on it, and to see if this familiar story maybe has some gems, some new wisdom for us along the way. Does that sound like a plan? Are we good with that? Excellent, excellent. Nine more months in Mark's. Just kidding, won't be nine months. All right. (laughs) 
Let's talk about Palm Sunday in June, which feels weird. Uh, Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday is what we call it, right? That's our title for it, Palm Sunday or the Triumphal Entry. Um, Mark doesn't actually mention any palms uh, explicitly in his version, though. There are um, leafy branches, but no mention of palm leaves. For Mark, this is more like Coat Sunday, right? They put coats over the horse to serve as a saddle. Uh, Jesus' followers are laying coats down in the road for him to ride on. Wouldn't it be funny if on Palm Sunday, instead of palms, we all like brought coats to church and we're like waving those around? I think that'd be a lot of fun, you know? We lost Kathy this week. Oh no, what happened? Got hit in the face by a coat. (laughs) We won't do that. We won't do that. Um, Keep you safe. This is a story with a lot of pomp and circumstance, right? It's triumphant. There's a spirit of revolution in the air. Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, being hailed as king. This is on the eve of Passover, right? Which is basically like Jewish Independence Day. In just a few days, Jesus is going to be celebrating Passover with his disciples. And this whole scene is just loaded with nationalistic, patriotic imagery. Stuff that would have evoked pride in the original audience. Stuff that the people there would have just seen and known. We don't get it as well because we're separated by like 2,000 years. But there's some really on-the-nose imagery in here. And to start things off, I want to look at three sources for the various images we find in Palm Sunday. The Old Testament, the time between the Testaments, and Mark's context in the first century. Old Testament, the time between the Old and New Testament, and Mark's context, just to get a sense of what the original hearers of this story would have recognized as Jesus rides into Jerusalem. And let's start with the Old Testament. I already mentioned we're on the eve of Passover, right? Passover is um, the celebration of when uh, Moses led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. It's really the Israelites' beginning as a people. So you've got all this imagery of deliverance, freedom, patriotism, salvation. All of that is in the air as Jesus comes riding into the city. You also see the people crying out. As Jesus comes riding in, his disciples are shouting, Hosanna, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. That's a quote from Psalm 118, which is a coronation hymn. It's a song that the Israelites would sing as a new king rode into town to take their throne, to be crowned king, which is a big deal, right? Because there's already a king on the throne in Jerusalem. His name is Herod. We've met him. He doesn't like competition, right? But the big parallel on Palm Sunday, the big Old Testament scene, especially in Mark's version of the story, is a reference to 2 Kings chapter 9. How's that for a random Bible reference? 2 Kings chapter 9. I had to look that one up, um, so it's okay if you don't know this one. This is a story about the sons of King Ahab. Do any of us know King Ahab and Jezebel? Anyone remember that fun little Sunday school story? A couple people are nodding. King Ahab was notoriously the most evil king in Israel's history. Um, He oppressed the people. He put idols all over the place. His wife Jezebel had all the prophets killed. Not very good people. Um, And in 2 Kings chapter 9, Ahab's already dead, and his two sons are running the kingdom. They're basically just as bad as him. So God raises up this general named Jehu. And God tells Jehu, I'm going to make you the new king. 
You can read this story if you want in 2 Kings 9. Jehu raises up an army, charges into Jerusalem, and slaughters the king's family. Like you do, right? Like that's, that's what you do. Um, he has Jezebel thrown out a window and her body fed to dogs, which is super Old Testament. I remember that one in like second grade Sunday school. That was a fun story. Traumatized. Um, <coughs> All this goes down so quickly, right? It unfolds over, I imagine, like, like a day or so. There's no time to plan a coronation ceremony. So Jehu's followers, his soldiers, as he rides into Jerusalem victorious, they come out and they lay their cloaks on the ground, their coats, for Jehu to ride across as he comes in to take the throne. That's the story this is referencing. Right around Jewish Independence Day, when Jesus rides into town, being hailed as king, Hosanna, riding on coats, as King Herod is seated on the throne, a guy who allows the Romans to put idols wherever they want and who kills prophets like John the Baptist. Do we see why Jesus is gonna be dead in a week? Are we connecting the dots here? Yeah. Those are the Old Testament references in this story. We got two other sources. We'll go through this quickly though, um, just to give you an idea because it's pretty much the same idea. If you're tracking with this, you've got it. Um, but let's talk about the time between the Old and the New Testament. This story is about 150 years before Jesus. You'll actually find this one uh, in the book of 1 Maccabees. That's one of those books that our Catholic friends have in their Bibles, but we don't. Um, and it tells some of the story of what happened between the Old Testament and the New Testament when the Greek Empire was in control. Um, and in the book of Maccabees, I believe it's 1 Maccabees 13, off the top of my head, I, don't quote me on that in case I'm wrong, um, but we meet a guy named Simon Maccabeus, great name. He and his brothers raise up an army, and they go to war with the Greeks, and they successfully drive the Greeks out of Jerusalem. This is a historical event. The Greeks documented it. They were not very happy about it. Um, and Simon Maccabeus established an independent Jewish kingdom in Jerusalem for about a hundred years. The story of Hanukkah comes from this revolution. And when Simon rides into Jerusalem on a horse to take his throne, the whole city comes out to greet him and they're waving palm branches around like flags, shouting Hosanna. It's another violent, bombastic, revolutionary image being drawn on here. But the parallels don't stop there. There's one more, <clears throat> and it's one that Mark's audience would have been super familiar with. It would have been fresh on their mind because it actually happened after the time of Jesus, around the time this story was being written. Uh, we talked before in here about how it's kind of tricky to date the books of the Bible because uh, most biblical authors don't date their work. Um, but most scholars today are pretty much in agreement um, that the Gospel of Mark was written sometime around the Jewish-Roman War, between 66 and 73 A.D. From 66 to 73, there was a war that broke out in Jerusalem between the Jews and the Romans, which is becoming kind of a theme, if you, if you connect all the dots. Um, a bunch of Jewish revolutionaries rose up and tried unsuccessfully to drive the Romans out of the city. They wanted to do what Jehu and the Maccabees had done before them. And there was one leader in this revolution, a guy named Manahem, whose followers believed he was the Messiah. It's like 40 years after the time of Jesus. 
Manahem was a guerrilla soldier, a general of sorts. He slaughtered a bunch of Romans. Then he rides into Jerusalem on a horse, because that's what you do, to claim his throne. Now, Manahem was swiftly arrested and executed, but that was happening right around the time Mark's gospel is being written. That revolution, that national embarrassment, would have been fresh on the minds of Mark's audience. So Palm Sunday is drawing all these parallels with these violent, bloody revolutions. Uh, These leaders, these nationalistic leaders, people like Jehu, Maccabees, Manahem, folks who were charismatic, who slaughtered their enemies, and then rode triumphantly into Jerusalem to take their throne. That's why we call this the triumphal entry, by the way. That's where this name comes from. This is Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Except that Mark's version of the triumphal entry is a little different. We got all these references. Go ahead, one slide if you could. Perfect. We got all these references to all these bloody, violent stories, but Jesus' triumphal entry looks pretty different. There are some details that don't quite fit with the other ones. Uh, Like usually, the triumphant king is riding a horse, right? I imagine like a steed, a stallion, this proud thing. Jesus is riding a colt. Right? He's on a baby horse. I'm imagining like a pony. Right? Like, in, like in my head, Jesus is riding in on like Rainbow Dash, which would be amazing. <laughs> that, would, that would be cool. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't quite track. It doesn't quite fit with the other stories. I did discover, though, by the way, did some research. Turns out colts, ponies, totally different animals. Did you know that? They're, they're, not, even, they're not even related. Um, colts aren't ponies. Apparently a colt, It's just a young horse or a young donkey. We actually find out in Matthew's version of the story that Jesus is riding a donkey. Donkey's not the most regal of creatures, right? Jesus is riding on a baby donkey, and it's a borrowed baby donkey at that. Half this story, if you've ever noticed, half the story is the disciples trying to find a donkey for Jesus to borrow, which is weird, Got another difference in the crowd, the crowd Jesus attracts, which is not that impressive. Um, We usually imagine this like huge crowd coming out, all the people of Jerusalem, you know, Maccabee style to meet Jesus. But that's not exactly how Mark tells the story. Go back and read it again sometime today or later this week. It's pretty clear, if you read between the lines, the people that are singing as Jesus comes in, the people waving the branches and putting down the coats, are Jesus' followers. This is his disciples. This is the, the, the crowd that was already around Jesus as he's coming in. Nobody is coming out to see this nobody from Galilee who's riding in on a donkey. The whole scene must have looked kind of ridiculous. Then the climax of the story, right, Jesus gets to the temple, he climbs down off his donkey, he takes a look around, and he leaves, right? He just pieces out, that's it. This is Mark 11, verse 11. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple, and when he had looked around at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. He leaves. There's no party There's no coronation. He doesn't, like, slaughter his enemies. He doesn't even get into, like, fights with the Pharisees. That'll happen later in the week. 
Jesus just gets to the temple, he looks around, and he's like, eh, it's getting late. Let's come back tomorrow. Pretty anticlimactic. So Mark draws on, draws on all this violent imagery, this revolutionary, patriotic, triumphalistic stuff. And he puts that next to Jesus riding a donkey with a tiny crowd and then leaving. It's almost a parody, all right? It's almost like Jesus is saying, look how silly all this is. You want a revolution? You want violence? You want to take on the Romans? You you think that's going to work out very well for you? You want a king who's going to hearken back to the good old days, restore some kind of lost greatness? That's not Jesus. That's not who Jesus is. That's not what Jesus came to do. Jesus is not a violent ruler who comes to crush our enemies and deliver victories. He's a humble king who rides into town on a donkey to lay down his life for his enemies. Huge difference. That contrast between all this hype, the nationalism, and the humility of Jesus makes Palm Sunday a fascinating story to read on a day like Juneteenth. Jim already shared with us, today is June 19th. It's Juneteenth, Emancipation Day, Freedom Day. This is the date back in 1865 when news of the Union's victory in the Civil War finally reached the last of the enslaved people in Texas who were set free. Juneteenth has been celebrated uh, in, in especially in African-American communities, for almost 160 years. It actually started in the black church. It was celebrated first as a sacred holiday to celebrate emancipation. It's only been recognized as a federal holiday since last year. Go figure. <laughs> took us a while to come around to that. But Juneteenth is a fascinating holiday. Most of our national holidays are times of victory and triumphalism. They're bombastic. Days to reflect on how awesome we are, right? Um, Independence Day, Veterans Day, we have parades. We wave flags. We blow stuff up. It's a time, it's a time of national pride. And Juneteenth has some of that. There are parties happening today. It's a celebration of freedom. But Juneteenth hits a little differently than all our other national holidays. It's a day that should trigger some self-reflection. Like the fact that while our nation was founded with the promise of liberty and justice for all, it took almost a hundred years for that freedom to be expanded beyond white guys, basically. We're still working to expand that freedom for everyone today. Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a national holiday. And he turns the whole thing on its head. His not-so-triumphal entry forces his audience to sit with some uncomfortable truths. It forces us to sit with some uncomfortable truths. Like maybe violence is not a good way to secure freedom. Maybe there are some holes in the stories we tell ourselves. Maybe the times we remember as the good old days were times of violence and misery for our neighbors. It's hard to reckon with that reality. 
It's hard to face it. Why do you think it took almost 160 years for our country to make this day a holiday? We don't like to face hard truths about ourselves. None of us do, it's not fun. We get defensive when people criticize us, if they criticize the church, if they criticize the country, if they criticize us. It's painful to reflect on past sins. But it's essential if we're gonna experience the fullness of salvation Jesus offers. If you want a triumphalistic God, you can find it. It's there. Not that hard in the Bible to find a God who's going to vanquish our enemies, come in on a horse, promise victory through violence. You can find that if you want it. And if we worship a triumphalistic God, we're going to become just like him. We're going to be proud and arrogant and defensive and violent. But if we worship a God who looks like Jesus, a God who rejects violence and embraces humility, a God who rides in on a donkey, making a mockery of all that bombastic stuff. If we worship that kind of God, then hopefully we're going to start looking like that kind of God. Hopefully we're going to grow in humility and graciousness and the ability to receive criticism and learn from our past. There's a real resistance in our culture to acknowledging the darker parts of our history. Acknowledging when we were in the wrong. Those times that we failed to live up to our ideals. We ban certain books. We invoke trigger words like CRT and wokeness to end the conversation, right? But all this stuff really boils down to what kind of a people do we want to be and what kind of a God do we want to worship? It's our choice. That's what makes Palm Sunday such an important story and what makes Juneteenth such a fascinating day to read that story. It's fitting to read this story on Juneteenth. Every week in our bulletins, if you want to get yours out, we make this going deeper section. It's on the flip side of the announcements. Uh, It's a place where we give you some stuff that you can do, reflect on, think about, pray on to take these teachings a little bit different, or sorry, a little bit deeper. Um, And for this week, we've outlined some ideas for celebrating, recognizing Juneteenth. Um, And I'm going to admit, it is tricky as a white person to know exactly what to do with Juneteenth. Like, can we celebrate it? Um, Is it cultural appropriation? Is it okay? Uh, One thing we did intentionally today as we chose hymns by black hymn writers and lyricists. All the hymns today, I think, except for the offering response, uh, come out of the black church. And I think it's really important for all of us to celebrate a day like Juneteenth, especially if it can help cultivate the kind of humility and self-reflection that we see in Jesus on Palm Sunday. So here's what we've got in the going deeper. Some ideas, some ways to celebrate Juneteenth this year. Uh, Number one, learn learn more about the holiday by searching for Juneteenth on Wikipedia or visiting Juneteenth.com. Basically, if you do an online search, you're going to find a lot more information and be able to learn the history of this day. Do that. Do a little research today. 
Number two, read about the history of the struggle for freedom in our country in books like Stamp from the Beginning and The Color of Compromise. Honestly, there are dozens of books, probably hundreds of books we could have listed here, many of which we've read together as a church. But this holiday is a great opportunity, especially if you're looking for some summer reading, to pick up one of these books and dive into it. Learn some of this history. Number three, you can listen to sermons by contemporary black preachers. Uh, We got a number of great ones listed here. Um, Don't just listen to me preach, right? Um, You know, goofy white guy up here in a Hawaiian shirt. Go online, pull up some sermons by these folks, um, or visit an African-American church. One Sunday, there are dozens in Rochester, a number of which are sister churches of us. You can support black-owned businesses. Uh, We put a link blackownedassociation.com in the Going Deeper. Um, You can support organizations like Prison Fellowship Ministry and the Equal Justice Initiative that are working to end the modern-day slavery of mass incarceration. And last thing we got here, while it might be a little too late this year, you can plan to attend some local Juneteenth celebrations next year. I don't even think it's on a Sunday, so you won't even have to miss church. Perfect. So many things we can do to celebrate this holiday in a way that honors our history while also honoring and reflecting the God revealed in Jesus. So take that, the going deeper, give one or two of those a try, and let's pray. God, we thank you for coming into our world through Jesus. Not a king looking to conquer or spread violence, but a king who comes in humility, laying down his life out of love. God, help us to embody that same love. Help us to embrace that same humility in our own lives, as a church, and as a nation. God, we pray that you would teach us, make us receptive. Help us to learn from the mistakes of our past. Help us to face our, at times, violent and unjust history, even as we celebrate freedom and the end of slavery. And God, help us to listen and learn from our siblings in the black church tradition. And may it lead us to embody your love and grace a bit more perfectly. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.